good. So I want to say a little bit about the term sectarianism uh, and from the perspective of someone who works in the pre-modern period and is thinking about, uh, over time perhaps, why I don't use it. Um, and I want to uh, give you a bit of what my thoughts have been about this. Um, so the story of what um, has ostensibly been known as sectarianism owes its epistemological underpinnings to power-laden discourses implicit within Orientalism. While the concept's dubious origins comes as little surprise to us as post-Saidian subjects, its continued use in the field, in spite of its questionable utility for understanding conflict and violence in places and among people where Islam predominates, merits reconsideration. As one of the basic hallmarks of Orientalist framing of the manifold articulations of Islam that they encounter in pre-modern literary sources, for example, chronicles, biographical dictionaries, early theological and legal treatises, the earliest European and North American scholars of Islam perfunctorily utilized the language and categories of church history as grounds for inquiry into non-Christian religion. The sect, Czech church, denomination, cult typology lent itself quite easily to the very sources that late 19th and early 20th century Orientalists availed themselves of to study religious and ethnic difference among Muslims. The principal sources used by these scholars were predominantly Sunni chronicles and heresiological literature, and it is these sources that continue to frame the master narrative concerning the origins and development of both Shiism and Sunnism, largely without critical atten attention to their inherently polemical and perspectival dimensions. On the basis of Sunni sources, on the basis of the Sunni sources that initially caught the attention of Orientalists, it would seem almost intuitive to regard the perspective of Sunni their Sunni informants as corresponding to Orthodox Church Islam and the Shi'i point of view as that of a heterodox sect. One of the first Western scholars to address the nature of religious beliefs and practices, the late 19th century uh, Orientalist Ignaz Golzier, in fact, classified as a sect in the Islamic context, any group that, quote, departs from the Sunnah, the historically sanctioned form of Islam, on essential issues of fundamental importance for all Islam, and on such issues contradict Ijma'. Perhaps in part as a result of the theological predilections and analytical categories employed by the founding fathers of the academic study of Islam over 100 years ago, actually, so I'm sorry, over 100 years after Golzier published his text, many contemporary scholars of Islam continue to rely upon Sunni polemical sources and heresiographies for situating Shi'i-Sunni differences. In addition, the reliance on largely hostile Sunni sources and heresiographies in particular may lead one to overestimate the importance of the Ulad or more extremist elements in, among the Shia who are hyperbolically given far more attention in heresiographical sources than they are likely to have had among their contemporaries, even in the context of fitna and firaq literature that originated in the late first century, uh, proliferating by the middle and second century. In fact, Golzier refers his readers to the his heresiographical literature for proofs that Shiism was 
particularly fecund soil for absurdities suited to undermine and wholly disintegrate the Islamic doctrine of God. Such statements by non-Muslim Orientalist scholars necessarily begs the question of why one would seemingly no particular doctrinal or dogmatic investment in political discourse would engage in this form of exposition. The Orientalist legacy of the church, denomination, sect, cult, paradigm inherited from scholars of Christianity carried with it the geographical and conceptual centering of what these scholars considered to be rational religious discourses within their own social and religious context and projected their predilections on the emerging historiographical tradition itself. Their mode for evaluating primary source narratives followed a simple logic of privileging what was commensurate or divergent from distinctions that emerged within a Christian milieu, with she sources viewed in more critical fashion due to what was thought to be their inherently sectarian heterodox concerns. Perhaps more problematic was the selectivity of Orientalists in editing manuscripts' works that mirrored their own predilections and hierarchical conceptions themselves. So this process of thinking about how to situate distinctions was actually reflected in the texts that were chosen to be made critical editions of at the very dawn of the Orientalist enterprise. These literary sources primarily uh, Sunni chronicles and biographical dictionaries were thought to present the high points of the historiographical tradition and ultimately came to form the canon for Orientalist scholarship on Islamic and Middle Eastern history. Now, this is not to suggest that our contemporary understanding of religious difference among Muslims is solely the product of religious and political concerns of Orientalist authors and their historical, historiographical frameworks. However, it's clear that the legacy of Orientalist framing of and nomenclature for the religious and ethnic distinctions among Muslims is empirically and conceptually inadequate to be useful for critical interpretation of pre-modern Arabic and Persian primary sources and secondary literature. It's also worth noting that the normativizing language of churches and sects faces much more than it discloses, even as an explanation for the development of early Christian history, so that scholars uh, such as Daniel Boyarn and many others who question the utility of this model as an explanation for Christian origins. This typology is obviously even less relevant to non-Christian regions and religions as a model. It is also of some significance that the perverse logic of the application of sectarianism as a kind of crude typological appendage to what Orientalists understood to be taking place during the formative period of Islam, led some scholars, without even a hint of irony, to consider the Shi'is to be, in fact, the Christians of Islam, and even go as far as characterizing various uh, Shi'i groups themselves as being crypto-Christian. Perhaps here, uh, I'm taking, uh, I think, uh, a jab at the low-hanging fruit to point out that in describing what he considered to be the sectarian movement that culminated in the development of various Shiisms, uh, Bernard Lewis, uh, and here I'm, is what I meant by the low-hanging fruit, um, <laughs> states rather prosaically uh, and in his characteristic irreverent tone, quote, at first the Shia was primarily a political faction 
the supporters of a candidate for power with no distinctive religious doctrines and no greater religious content than, what, than was inherent in the very nature of Islamic political authority. So while Lewis goes on to describe Shiism's gradual acquisition of religious dimensions, it is clear that for him it, re it remains ancillary to its essential nature as a reactionary political movement. This form of Orientalist framing of the origins of Islamic communities with Sunnism descended from on high, fully formed, primordially constituted, and with Shiism splitting off was until relatively recently a ubiquitous feature of introductory textbooks on Islam and continues in no small measure to shape the public discourse on alterity and difference among Muslims. Does our adherence to the language of sectarianism in part explain the persistence of these ideas in spite of a publication, uh, the publication of a number of excellent works by scholars uh, such as Maria uh, Dekeke, uh, Najim Haider, um, Wilfred Madeline, and others? Uh, who have demonstrated, I think, quite effectively that Shiism did have an initial religious content, for example, in discussions about Manaya, Maria did oh, so wonderfully. Uh, and also, this was the case among both proto-Shiism and proto-Sunnism. Uh, and scholars have demonstrated the ways that these distinctions were mutually constructed and shaped through social and discursive exchange, and also through the formation of ritual and regional differences. Is it our use of the concept of sectarianism itself that, for example, leads us to minimize the ways in which she and Sunni social agents engaged in activities for mutual exchange and advantage? Perhaps a description of relationships of cooperation necessitates a shift away from vocabulary that views the actions of groups that emerge in religious and political, <coughs> I'm sorry, the actions of groups that that diverge in religious and political commitments as responses or reactions to marginalizing forces generated from a normative Sunni center. center. The study of pre-modern Sunni-Shi relations in particular requires a vocabulary that draws attention to the contested nature of religious authority and the dynamic relationships of power between Shi and Sunni scholars in the pre-modern period. What alternative frameworks can be employed to explain the causes of violence and conflict between groups within concrete historical context and geographical locations? To what degree do we assign value and significance to the direct catalyst and immediate precipitating circumstances for violence over the projection of conflict back to pre-existing religious and political differences? For instance, if one were to focus on Baghdad, uh, for a 50-year period during the second half of the second century, uh, and here I, I mean the uh, uh, history, one finds that contemporary literary sources often mention the outbreak of violence between Shi'is and Sunnis following fires and floods. To what degree do we assign causality, natural disasters, or the smoldering powder keg of competing religious self-definitions? These are methodological decisions involving the application of competing ontological and epistemological frameworks that cannot be separated from the intended function of our question and our own political and ideological proclivities. Moreover, if the typology is to be maintained, does the term sectarianism have utility for understanding 
pre-modern relationships between Shi'is and Sunnis, for example, or even greater potential for gaining insight into the concerns of the architects of this framework. Sectarianism is a discourse generated, framed, shaped, and mitigated through specific historiographical modalities connected to the legacy of global white supremacist and imperial academic discourses. Research on the biases of the authors of pre-modern primary source texts seldom extend to the systematic analysis of the underlying frameworks of the Orientalists evaluating them. If you would indulge me for a moment, I'd like to return to uh, the low-hanging fruit for a moment, uh, Bernard Lewis, and offer you a description of what he alleges is the Nizari Ismaili, the invention of terrorism. He says, let me gather myself so I can do a good Bernard Lewis. It was true. For centuries, the Shia had squandered their zeal and blood for their imams without avail. There had been countless risings ranging from the self-immolation of small groups of ecstatics to carefully planned military operations. All but a few had failed, crushed by the armed forces of a state in order that they were too weak to overthrow. Even the very few that succeeded brought no release from the pent-up emotion that they expressed. Indeed, the victors, once invested with a panoply of authority and the custodianship of the Islamic community, turned against their own supporters and destroyed them. Hassan Isaba knew his preaching could not avail against the entrenched orthodoxy of Sunni Islam, that his followers could not meet and defeat the armed might of the Seljuk state. Others before him had vented their frustration in unplanned violence, in hopeless insurrection, or in sullen passivity. Hassan found a new way by which a small force, disciplined and devoted, could strike effectively against an overwhelmingly superior enemy. Terrorism, a modern source authority says, is carried on by a mainly limited organization and is inspired by a sustained program of large-scale objectives in the name of terror, which is practiced. This was the method that Hassan chose, the method it, way, the method it may well be, that he invented. There are many things, I think, that can be learned from Lewis's colorful account. However, few of them are instructive for identifying the causes of Ismaili violence during the fifth century. <coughs> However, shifting the focus to analyzing his, his historiographical framework is suggestive of potential new directions and avenues for more in-depth studies of the very concept of sectarianism and its relationship to whiteness and white scholarship on Islam and Muslims in the twilight of North American and European imperialism. The anachronistic retrojection of the conflict between Shi'is and Sunnis, devoid of political, social, religious content, and catalyst is an Orientalist trace, whose ex and the excavation of this trace will foster greater insight into the enduring legacy of both Orientalist historiography and contribute to contemporary scholarship on whiteness and post-Orientalist white politics. Thank you.